The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now it's a great pleasure to get stuck into the Friday Forum where we're going to debate and argue about uh, the political political portents for the year. I'm delighted to be joined by Finon Sheen, Ireland editor uh, of independent.ie and he's as grumpy and insightful as he's ever been when I know him for the last 20 years plus. Uh, Breed Smith, who I was sorry to see a uh, really, really authentic TD for Dublin South Central, People Before Profit, a feisty campaigner. And uh, you're welcome, Breed, and also Senator John McGahan, which is stating my age because I knew his dad, Brendan, very well. Uh, he, although Brendan didn't go drinking, we went drinking together, if you understand me. So let's talk, first of all, about the potential for the first cabinet meeting of the year is going to perhaps determine the terms of reference of our COVID inquiry. So we're actually late to this party, Sweden. We've all seen Boris Johnson and others before the Hallett uh, Tribunal in, in London, which I thought was pretty good at putting people's feet to the fire. What are you expecting, Finnon? Expecting a, a less dramatic uh, affair than they've had in the UK. Uh, also, a, a, a more kind of thoughtful, not so uh, interrogation-led uh, system, one that kind of looks at uh, what happens, what what happened, what could have happened and what can we learn for the future as opposed to a blame game kind of thing. Is it going to be in the public glare? Uh, like tribunals? We, we believe some elements uh, of, of it will. We believe that there will be an opportunity for members of the public who were affected by COVID-19 and, and their families uh, affected by it to, to, uh, to contribute uh, to it in, in, in that regard. But I, I'm not really expecting what we saw over in, in the UK. Yeah, I'm, can I say people my immediate reaction to that is... That's disappointing insofar as that I thought the British one was good and I personally copy and paste it. But there was things like people transferred out of hospital into nursing home which Mm -hmm. caused deaths. There was antigen with snake oil testing and it became part of the accepted figures. You had people who said, sorry, nine euro to buy a meal is the only way I can have a drink. Mm -hmm. I I can't take a walk beyond two kilometres. Like, there are questions to answer. I know we need to put ourselves in readiness, but are we going to sweep it all under the carpet? Well, I I seem to remember a a decade ago, Ivan, there was people saying, we dramatically need a banking inquiry and we need to have a banking inquiry that's open and transparent and everybody needs to be hauled in and we need to drag in the bankers and the politicians and, you know, interrogate them about what decisions they made and, and so on and so forth. And the banking inquiry was ultimately a damn squib. We didn't really learn a whole lot that we didn't know already. We certainly didn't, uh, there was no real lessons out of it that, that weren't already fairly obvious. So I, I think you can, there is, you, I'd be cautious about talking up some inquiry and saying that this is going to be the panacea and that it will sort things out. You would, however, like to see, I mean, for example, during COVID-19, Breeze Party was advocating uh, a zero COVID uh, strategy, which which would have involved um, different sorts of, of restrictions and, and lockdowns and so on and so forth. It would have been a change of strategy. At the time, it, it was uh, basically... Was it a tougher lockdown? It, to a degree, in, in different way. At the time, because government had adapted, an effort had adapted a particular strategy, that was basically dis- dismissed out of hand and to the degree that it was kind of disrespectfully dismissed out of hand as opposed to explaining why it was that that those in power did okay. not see their work. It would be no harm for an inquiry to go back and say, right, 
these are the different types of strategies that you can adopt mm. in the course of a pandemic and tease them out a bit more respectfully. What are you expecting, Breed? Well, or I what think would you it's like really important that we have a decent inquiry and I think it has to be honest because a lot of people were very um, alienated by the idea of having to mask up and not go out and not that the pubs were shut and all the rest of it. But there were public health reasons for that and, and that needs an explanation. And that's what really um, informed our approach to zero COVID was the public health experts talking about how you need to monitor the uh, the spread of the disease, where it's taken off, track it down and contain it in, in, in certain areas. But of course, what COVID did expose was the weakness of the Irish general health system. Anyway, low level of public health doctors, nurses, a low, a low emphasis on public health. And then we had overcrowding already in the hospitals, not enough ICU beds, not enough uh, facilities to deal with the pandemic. And the most important thing for me, because I was on the COVID committee, the Joint Directors COVID committee during the whole thing, was the number of deaths in nursing homes and the type of care that we give to our elderly. I mean, we're all hurtling towards, uh, it, that's inevitable. We all hurtle towards that um, inevitability in our lives. Vulnerability, yeah. Yeah, but the care that we give to our elderly is in very crowded, congregated settings. And the COVID committee looked at this. We had experts in from SAGE advocacy, from care champions, from all sorts of areas, um, doctors, nurses, the unions and all the rest of it. And the one thing they do say is we do we need to move away from a model of packing older people into overcrowded uh, healthcare facilities where workers were largely privatised, where workers' pay and conditions are very low. So you've got a high turnover of workers. And I know myself from being very involved in our local hospital, Cherry Orchard, that one of the key things for the elderly is being familiar with those who they wake up to every morning, giving them their cup of tea. So geriatric care, you think, Proper should be a community-based geriatric care and give uh, older people the option of being able to stay at home and be cared for at home. Okay. I've just spent um, Christmas with my sister in Malmo and her mother-in-law is kept at home. The state throw everything at keeping people at home precisely because they understand the danger of, you know, um, uh, overcrowded settings for elderly people. But they also know that it's a better place to be, to grow old and be cared for at home. And ultimately, it works out costing the state less. So we'd like to see the state move to that model. And this inquiry is very important for that because over 30% of the deaths did take place in very tragic and sad circumstances for people, for their families, uh, in nursing homes and that needs to be dealt with. And instead of that, since COVID, the state, you know, I saw Micheál Martin, you know, proudly opening up another big nursing home in the south of Ireland of 400 beds. That's not the sort of model that we need for care of the elderly and particularly for facing future pandemics. OK, John McGahan, uh, we do have the benefit in the last few weeks, the OECD published a report to show that the excess deaths over a three-year period in Ireland was the fourth lowest in the Western world. So what are you expecting from the inquiry? <clears throat> I think it's going to be uh, quite a valuable process. And to follow on from what Finon said, it will be a valuable process if we can come up with key recommendations about how to make the next pandemic, when it does come and it is coming, uh, something that we can deal with. We dealt with COVID very, very well, both as a state and as uh, the Irish people. And the process of this has to be coming out of this inquiry and making sure that we've looked at and said, we did this well, we could have done this better, we'll be ready better the next time. So it has to be coming out with clear recommendations about what we need to do as a country when the next pandemic comes. It'll be a waste of everybody's time, in my opinion, if it becomes a relitigation of what happens, if it becomes a witch, a witch hunt looking for a head, if it becomes a blame, a blame game. 
that'll be everyone, a waste of everyone's time. So <clears throat> I would say three things that I think need to come from this inquiry. The first one is it has to have the voices of people at the front line at the forefront of it. So that's doctors, patients, nurses. There's no point bringing in the people who made the decisions and just hear what they had to say. It has to hear from the people who implemented those decisions on the front line. Second of all, when you talk about transparency, I think that's important because as Finon said as well, people will understand why decisions were made when the science uh, is explained around by around those decisions. One of the things you should be really proud about in Ireland is that we had a very scientific-led approach compared to other countries. Uh, and the third thing, is really based around the independence uh, of this inquiry. So one of the criticisms that I'd have of the UK inquiry, which you mentioned yourself, Ivan, is that the government wrote the terms of reference to then change the terms of reference. The UK government have appointed all the panel members. The UK government would then have the final say over what information or what so recommendations is So you think it should be more judicial-based? No, I just think that... Like the, who would you get to chair I, I think it should be independent of government uh, and I don't think government should have any final say over what okay, information is or isn't released. Okay, Finon... Um, I want, I want to talk about uh, the impact of migration on uh, Irish politics. So it's a year of elections and all the rest of it. And, and I am not in the media bubble. I'm not in the political bubble. And the discussions I hear in rural Ireland and in inner city working class areas, which we would know more about, is a huge gulf from what I hear in the Dáil and in media about this issue. In other words... Uh, I think a lot of Middle Ireland have actually shifted from wanting Ukrainians to take them into their own home to saying enough is enough. What's your sense of this? I see a poll, 27% of people would vote for an anti, uh, you know, no open borders candidate. What's your sense of the politics of the migration issue? I think given that the the local and European elections are, are coming up, you're going to see an awful lot of dog whistling over the course uh, of of the next few months. Uh, either by political parties trying to talk tougher uh, on on migration, immigration, uh, asylum seeking, uh, or individual candidates straying from the the party line with a view to independence. No, not not independence. I mean, I'm talking actual people who are members of political parties running under that political party's oh. banner. Oh, doing a solo run. And going on a solo oh, yeah. run okay. and claiming, well, you know, that might be the party's view. They're both there in Dublin, but I have a different view of myself now down here. And yeah. okay. I, I think what people are saying now is, is on board of what I'd, I'd be okay. thinking. And then that'll save their seat. That's their that's the, the, the thinking there. And you're already seeing that. I mean, you, you now basically have a thesis coming from Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael councillors over the course of the past months that because there wasn't adequate consultation, a building got burnt down. And under no circumstances whatsoever does communication and consultation have anything to do with justifying a building being burnt down by people, whoever they are. I don't see any difference between fellas down on O'Connell Street rioting and deciding to set a Lewis on fire and people in a, a local area down the country in well, rural what, what Ireland would you say, to sign the okay, torture. What would you say, I just argue the toss with this as a devil's advocate, that, that arson and criminal damage is the language of people who feel they're not being listened to. And, and I say that about Northern Ireland okay, and different and, and Barcelona or whatever. Well, I, I call it criminality, okay. uh, Ivan. You can That's use, it. No, I'm just you, asking you can the use, question. Well, you can use whatever soft language you want, okay. but I call it criminality. Yeah. Uh, I call it tuggery. And simple as that. Uh, I think you are right. It will be uh, an issue uh, f- during these elections and that will test 
both the principles and the discipline of the respective parties. Are we going to see parties holding the line and saying we have adopted a, a core policy that is is pro-immigration, pro a rights-based asylum seeker uh, system being in place, pro providing services to people who come to this country and processing them uh, in, a, in a fair manner or are they going to follow the mob? And I think we're already seeing over, over the past couple of days uh, that you're seeing, uh, I think some parties are signalling they're, they're going to start talking things up uh, over the course of the next few, few, few months. Breed, what say you about migration? Well, first of all, I think it's really important that um, those of us who do support a, a, a rights-based approach, as Fionnan said, to migration do hold the line. I was very disappointed to hear and to feel a shift from Sinn Féin on this. And I think that what they're doing is they're worried about the backyard where they're threatened by um, uh, far-right parties moving in to take local election seats. And I think this is going to be a challenge for everybody, including for us in Dublin South Central. But I also think it's really important that we get it right because the idea that it's all open borders and it's law and while you're for everybody is nonsense. The Mediterranean is already a massive graveyard of tens of thousands of men, women and children seeking refuge in Europe. They die in the Mediterranean or if, if they don't die and drown, they're sold off to, um, you know, slave camps in places like Libya and the EU pays billions and billions of dollars for, to, for, through Frontex for this to happen. So that is something we have to rubbish, that there's open borders, uh, law and Awalia. We already have open borders in Europe, by the way. We can travel because we're white and European. We can go to Belgium or France or Spain or wherever we like and get a job and it's not a problem. And we can do likewise because of uh, legacy arrangements with Britain. So I think we have to look at the truth. And the truth is that the governments, successive Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael governments, have made a bags of public services in this country. So first and foremost, the housing crisis, which triggered all this anti-migration stuff, housed the Irish first, there's no room at the inn. The housing crisis is uh, sort of bedded into our system and there's no sign of it getting lesser or going away. Figures well, can, of can homelessness I, keep going up. Can I ask you a question up, which I think your constituents would ask you uh, is... Since the Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine on the 24th of February 2022, we have in total, between international protection and they, taken 120,000 people. Do you say no limit, 250,000 more? What, what do you say? What I do say is that everybody who comes here has a pair of hands and a brain and a hungry belly, so everybody has a right to work. I see that everybody should have a right to work. If you look at all those so-called unvetted men that are supposed to be a threat to women and children, and look at the legacy of violence against women and children, both by the state and by partners in this country, very serious figures that are going to be, you know, wheeled out again this year because of the policies on around trying to deal with domestic violence. Most women are um, suffer violence at the hands of the partner or somebody they know in the family, likewise with children. And then we have the legacy abuse by the church and state through the mother and baby homes, the industrial schools, etc. So this is nonsense to suggest that every foreign man of dark colour who comes to this country is a threat. There are also strong men who could build homes, build schools, build bridges, build roads, things that we need, and many of them are well-educated, could possibly be teachers, nurses, work in our hospitals, etc. Okay. John, while, while Fine Gael have espoused the same principled approach, when you actually look at what's happening in terms of the weekly benefits, 330 down to whatever it is, 80 euro, uh, when you actually look at the practicality that now people are being put into tents, 
is, is there actually a, a sort of capacity restraint point arising for the government and the public administration of the country? I think this is an unprecedented crisis. And let's be clear about that when you look at the cold hard figures of it. You mentioned there yourself. There's 26,000 people who are receiving IPAS accommodation as of Christmas Day last week. Uh, five years ago, that was 6,000 people. We have 74, 75,000 Ukrainian people who are fleeing uh, war in the European continent that are here. So it's taken up to 120,000 people. Uh, so we have to be clear about it. We are doing our utmost best and our very best as a government to accommodate and house as many people who come to our country seeking safety and seeking sh- sanctuary. Are we able to do that for absolutely every single person? No. And it would be wrong of me to say so. But are we doing our very best to try and accommodate those people? Yes. Uh, The wider context of it is the world is on the move. We've seen the collapse of Afghanistan. We see EU commitments. We see war in Sudan. We see war in Africa. The world itself is on the move. Are you distinguishing yourself from Leo's position? Which is? Well, Leo has been very principled about, you know, we should take as many as many as arrived. No, I'm on the same page as uh, the Taoiseach and my party leader. I'm not, I fully agree with him. Um, but what we need to do really is when we, we have to look at the, the wider situation of it is, and even though Breed and I are in completely different political spectrums, I agree with a lot of what Breed Except said there. You, what Sorry, I don't Breed, agree, I just, just to yeah, finish my point. But just I, I, be Breed, honest please. about it. Breed, you please, didn't do your very best Breed, to look after the Breed, housing please. crisis. You have not done your very let's, best. Let, let's just chat about that for a second. And I, I didn't interrupt you while you spoke for three minutes uninterrupted. But to finish my point, about this is um, we have people immigration uh, or immigration is a good thing it's people who are coming to this country because we are a success story as a country we are an economic success story we are a good society we have people who want to come and set up their lives here in Ireland because we are a good country some people would have you believe this country is a kip that's not the case whatsoever these people are coming here because they want to better their lives here I'm going to interrupt you both because I've only uh, six minutes five minutes left and I just want to get a sense because I'm not here every day, 2024, local European Udros elections. When do you think the general election will be? Because, you know, there's a line of thought I'm hearing within Fine Gael is if you hold it after the local elections, uh, Sinn Féin, who did very badly in the 29 local elections, will have all these poll-topping councillors who will be ready-made doll candidates. Whereas if you actually held it at the same time of the local elections, you could gazump the momentum of Sinn Féin. When do you think the election will be, Fine yeah, there seems to be a perennial issue around Finnegale, Taoiseach and the picking of, of election days. Indeed. I mean, you're one of the men who made a bags of it back in that's 97 right. as <laughs> John well, Bruton's <laughs> inner circle and picking the wrong date for the election back then. So Leo has a choice. He can, he can go at, at this stage uh, at, at any time. I mean, government will, will be almost four years in government now, so nobody will accuse him of, of government collapsing or anything like that from, from here on. There is a thesis that, OK, go ahead of the, the local elections, go, go in May so that you don't allow a Sinn Féin juggernaut to, to continue on. Probably a more sensible position would be go in September, October, framed around the budget where basically you are presenting a budget to the people and saying, look, this is what we have offered you over the, the course uh, of the last four to five years. This is how we plan to con- continue on. So you on. think an autumn election? I think an autumn election makes a lot more sense than, than the cold, dark nights and, of January, and, and, February. This time next year, who do you think the victor will be at, at all these elections? If you were to pick one victor, who do you think? Oh, it look, be? I mean, the, 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 the victor in terms of, of seat numbers and uh, vote numbers will be Sinn Féin. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they will, will be in government. I mean, I notice you're very excitedly giving them overall majorities. No, I did time, not. No. Every time you, said, you, you talk about them. No, no, I 
I said minimum 58, okay. maximum 72. Be fair. It's 88 you need for a majority. There, there's still an issue then of who exactly they're going to government with yep. th- thereafter in terms of putting together a, a coalition uh, that not just elects a Taoiseach, but actually ensures that you can get through important pieces of legislation, uh, survive motions of confidence, get past, past budgets uh, and so on. And that, as long as that question is, is still open, there is an opportunity for the other side, i.e. the existing government and potentially some other of the smaller parties to say, listen, you can vote for that or you can vote for, for, for this uh, over here. Uh, and... As a sort of more of more of the same, but I, I think there is no question about it. You are going to come back with significantly more uh, seat numbers. It'll be quite historic come May, come June when we have provisional Sinn Fein basically winning the largest number of seats in an election in, in the local elections and probably in the Europeans but, as well. The, the, the last general election in twenty twenty, Sinn Fein got the most votes twenty four point five percent. But they left 12 seats behind them because they're number twos and threes elected. Some of you and your left wing colleagues. Do you fear that you could be cannibalised by Sinn Féin on the left? Uh, no, I don't fear cannibalisation because when you look even at South Central, um, I came in after Angus O'Snoddy's transfers of five or six thousand votes to me. But I did come in second, which means that people voted number two for breed because, or, and for people before profit because I had something to say and I was of value. And I think that will continue. And if you have four seats in a constituency and Sinn Féin get two, somebody has to get the other two. And, and you know, some constituencies will be tighter than others. But what I would like to see Sinn Féin doing is to try and form a left government. We're saying this to them all the time, that to bring Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael back into government if there's such an astounding rejection of both of those parties and their policies after the general election, will only disillusion uh, the, uh, the the Irish voters. And I think they need to make a serious attempt to build a government of the left and to have decent left policies that will challenge the status quo. And that does mean serious challenges to the agenda of developers and builders when it comes to the housing issue to really take on the radical sort of policies that we often hear them talk about, but we need to see it in action. OK, we've limited time left. Uh, Fine Gael, obviously badly affected by retirements, you know, from... Donegal and Kerry, people that aren't that old stepping back. Uh, when do you think the election will be, John? And secondly, uh, what w- way will Fine Gael cope with this, this particular problem of retirements? Well, uh, well, let's take the first question first, retirements. And I had a discussion with Finn on outside. Let's look at the people who are retiring. My colleague in Louth, Fergus O'Dowd, first elected in 1997. David Stanton and Cork East, first yeah, elected. Yeah, Richard Burton, but first there are younger ones. John Paul Phelan isn't that old. Joe McHugh okay. isn't that old. Brendan yeah, Griffin isn't that let's, old. Let's go through that, right? So John Paul Phelan elected the Oireachtas in 2002. Um, who's the other name you mentioned there? Uh, uh, Joe, Joe McHugh. Joe McHugh, McHugh elected McHugh. to the Oireachtas in 2002. So all of a sudden, all of these people you've mentioned have had three decades worth of political careers, bar one, Brendan Two Griffin. Decades. bar Three decades, when you look at them all going back to the 1980s, bar one, Brendan Griffin. So I don't believe in this premises. Well, Michael Ring is standing and he's there for 43 first, first, decades. First so. elected in 1994 in a famous by-election. But my final point about this, Ivan, is there is no issue with retirements. The people who are retiring in Fine Gael are people who have served the state for three decades, if not more. And we've got excellent candidates in those constituencies that'll be able to win Nothing those to see here. All right, <laughs> I want to sincerely thank uh, Finon, Breed and John for taking the trouble to come into studio today. That's my lot. A reminder that all the items today are uploaded as podcasts, which you can listen to on the News Talk app, app powered by Golad. Just go to the Pat Kenny Show. The Pat Kenny Show. With Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am. On News Talk.